Christmas, Happy New Year. This is Joe Franks. This is the week between Christmas and New Year's. This is Unfathomable Grace, a weekly podcast designed to just encourage people. And so as we come towards the end of this year, I want to tell my story. I do so because I want you to better understand maybe what lights my fire. Hopefully why I'm a different minister than I used to be. Maybe you'll be encouraged to join the grace journey with me. But today, I just want to present to you how God graciously oversaw my transformation from a fraud to a friend to a fool and finally to a fanatic. Stage one, the fraud. In my early years, I had many blessings. I had grandparents, uncles, aunts, a father, mother, and a brother who loved me. I cannot remember a time when I did not attend church. Christian preachers and teachers did their best to instruct me in the way I should think and act. Like many throughout the United States, I cannot remember a time when I did not know the facts regarding God, His moral code, and His gospel work to provide salvation for sinners. So, with my mouth and ceremonial observances, I grew to proclaim Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was a confessor. I memorized verses, memorized the catechism, joined the church, threw sticks in the fire, walked the aisle, kept the rules, played the part. Yes, I could give the right answers. I could make a good impression. However, I was a fraud. There was nothing in my heart that longed for communion with God. I could sin without any sense of sorrow. Frankly, the only thing that kept me on the straight and narrow was the pressure of my parents, pastors, principals at school, peers, and also the fear of being harmed by God. But there was no love. There was no relationship. My heart was thoroughly vile. I fed my wicked flesh, and I could not wait for the further opportunity to swim in sin as long as the price was not too high to pay. I believed in Christ. I confessed Christ, but I was not a Christian. But then Jesus came my way. Stage two, a friend. For some reason, at the age of 17, I heard the gospel message at a Christian camp. And on that day, I was inwardly compelled to call upon Christ. I wanted to. It was time for a new start. Now, I just said, for some reason. But I have learned the reason. Jesus was my friend, and he would not leave me be. He sent his Holy Spirit on that October day to inform my head and entice my heart. The Spirit did his good work and won my affections. Consequently, I heard, believed, trusted, confessed, and switched allegiances. I loved him because he first loved me. And for the remainder of my senior year in high school, my heart grew in affection. Those were sweet and tender days. Jesus was now my best of friends. However, my story takes a sad turn. Stage 3 the fool. 
Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, commented on the folly taking place in the church. Many were adding legalism to the gospel. They were altering the free gift of Christ by requiring works and ceremonies. Laws. Perfect reconciliation with God, which was a gracious gift to be received through faith in Christ alone, was being turned into a contract focused on faith in Christ alongside the doing of certain works. Sadly, true believers were buying into the devil's lie. Seeking to finish that which the Father, Son, and Spirit had accomplished and were accomplishing, they became fools. Sadly, this became a part of my life story. I, too, foolishly traded the free gospel of Jesus Christ for the religiosity of idiots. Allow me to explain my practice of the Galatian heresy. You see, rightly, I believed in God. His ethical code, human depravity, God's sacred wrath, the incarnation of Jesus, and the sanctified life he lived. The substitutionary death he died, his death, resurrection, ascension, and the free offer of the gospel received by grace alone. I believed in the permanence of eternal life, once saved, always saved. Rightly, I believed that God desired holiness, deplored sin, and obedience was my obligation. Like Jesus, I wanted to be. I longed to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. I wanted to be a hearer and a doer of God's word. That was important to me. It was all good. Hear me straight. This understanding of God's law and man's responsibility, that was not what made me a legalist. But foolishly, I was led to believe God had done his part and now it was up to me to do mine. It was my obligation to do right or encounter spiritual wrath, separation, and divine retribution. Like the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, I had to keep covenant with God in order to earn and enjoy his blessing and avoid his cursing. Yes, God was like Santa Claus and he was keeping score and I had to sufficiently to perform I had to sufficiently perform to win his approval, applause, and gifts. It was up to me. It was a matter of my self-discipline and self-control. Maybe to put this in theological terms, justification was solely his business. It was his gift to me. However, sanctification, communion, and spiritual prosperity, these were my blessings to win or to lose. I first encountered this errant theology in my earlier fundamentalist days. So I did what I could to keep all the extra-biblical rules prescribed for me. These rules included commandments like what I should wear, what I should eat, what I should drink, how I should speak, how should I be groomed, how much should I give, with whom can I swim, and how should I socialize. Most of the focus was on these external rules, external rules that could be noticed, measured, and kept. Sure, they could be kept by Mormons, Muslims, or masochists too, but that didn't stop us fundamentalists from using us. That didn't stop us fundamentalists from using these rules to grade our Christianity and degrade the Christianity of our neighbors. A few years later, I decided to kick it up a notch Following college and marriage, I determined to go to work for Jesus with even greater fervency. 
being a Christian businessman was not sufficient. I was going to lay it all on the line and be sold out. I was going to pick up my cross and prove myself to be in God's upper class. After all, I had heard and learned there can be no higher calling than full-time Christian ministry. So they said. Consequently, the Franks family packed up and moved from South Carolina to North Carolina and then on to Florida. Jobs were secured in various Christian schools and churches. I attended four seminaries, learned three languages, earned two postgrad degrees, and passed my ordination exam. I became a pastor. I was a PCA elder, and I could wear the suit while holding my Bible just right. And in the process of serving as a minister, I became an even greater fool. You see, by the turn of this century, my fundamentalist rules had gone the way of the eight-track cassette. I could now go see a movie, drink a glass of wine, listen to contemporary Christian music, and read something other than the KJV. But the underlying legalistic attitude had not been eradicated. I merely swapped my fundamentalist rules with an entirely different set of man-constructed ordinances. Now, I earned my righteousness by keeping the Sabbath in mosaic fashion, maintaining some supposed biblical order of worship, differentiating over who could participate in public worship, nitpicking the celebration of the Lord's Supper, mandating a certain style of preaching, overthinking how one should pray, and finding the God-approved way of singing, while at home lording over my wife and children. Now, these extra-biblical rules did come with certain selfish benefits. They gave me laws I could keep, a certain form of merit in which I could boast. They also gave me the opportunity to look down my nose at lesser believers who were not progressing in the faith as I was. Consequently, this stage in my life was characterized more by arrogance than humility, by judgment more than mercy, by fear more than love, and by misery instead of joy. Why was I miserable? Well, first, I could not keep the extra-biblical laws of man. The traditions, ceremonies, rites, and rules of my fathers and brothers always seemed to be increasing and tightening, and they made me miserable. But secondly, I could not keep the biblical laws of God. Forget the extra-biblical ones. I couldn't keep the biblical laws. For example, whether it was praying without ceasing, loving my neighbors, living without covetousness, pastoring my flock, fleeing sin, stewarding well God's talents, honoring authority, zealously evangelizing, holding correct doctrine, avoiding sloth, etc., etc. I could not keep these good, timeless, transcultural, and biblical laws of God. So internally and externally, I continually missed the mark. God's goodness was too high. His standards were unreachable. That led to the point that I could not rest. I just could not rest in God's unconditional satisfaction and reconciliation. The gifted and graced rest that first came from Christ alone was no longer enjoyed by me. I had bought into the religiosity of fools. I denied Christ's finished work, and I discounted God's gracious declarations. I was a fool. But Christ sent His Holy Spirit to revive my soul. 
His grace proved greater than all my sins, even my sins of being a foolish and fallacious minister. Step four, fanatic. Well, about the year 2013 or so, the Lord allowed me to start having conversations with various ministry leaders and ministers. I was directed back to the scriptures, my Reformed fathers, the ancient confessions of faith, and a certain stream of Reformed theologians who rightly understood God's law and gospel. I was better educated, and I was revived. I found my joy and became a fanatic of Christ, His gospel, and His spirit. So now, where do I stand? What makes me different today from my former days as a miserably foolish minister? Well, I know this. God, in times past, saw my full depravity. He saw every sin I would ever commit, unintentional and intentional. He knew my rank iniquity, my willful suppression of His truth, my idolatry, and how I would scorn all the advantages He would send my way. And now I know God wrote my name in His book. He knew what He would do for me despite my rebellious folly. My salvation and reconciliation were not done yet, but it was a done deal. Now I rejoice in the fact that God sent His Son to earn my righteousness. He kept all the laws of His Father. He was thoroughly holy. He performed and earned the applause and blessings of His Father. He did this for me and anyone else who gives up on self-righteousness and self-salvation. Consequently, in the language of Psalm 23 now, my cup today runs over with His goodness and righteousness. There is nothing for me to do about this. In a real sense, I am already a saint with a surplus of righteousness, and none of it is my own. And now I rejoice now that God sent His Son to receive my condemnation. Upon His shoulders, the Father placed all my sins. He was viewed as guilty. He became odious to the Father. He received the Father's wrath and was excommunicated for my transgressions. Consequently, my record is cleansed. Any sin I have committed is taken care of. Any sin I will commit, it too is whitewashed due to the bloody work of Jesus Christ. Sure, He can graciously disciple me. He promises to. Sure, He can allow me to reap the consequences of my foolish decisions. But there is no double jeopardy. There remains no vindictive retribution. My sins are behind his back. They are in the sea of forgetfulness. He keeps no record of my wrongs and continually beckons me back into the house to attend the party he throws in my honor. And now the Holy Spirit informs my mind. As I meditate upon his revelation, I'm reminded of his attributes, his law, my depravity, my condemnation, my intimate impotency, and His promises. How fantastic is His unrequired, undeserved, monergistic, one-way, exhaustive, and intimate salvation. How fantastic it is to be viewed as His friend, brother, spouse, or holy temple. How fantastic it is to be free, to be released from any contract to keep man-made traditions, or even His biblical legislation. The Holy Spirit inflames my heart. It informs my mind, but it inflames my heart. As I meditate upon His revelation, I find myself enjoying hotter spiritual affections. 
He fruits me with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In addition, my heart grows with mercy and grace towards my family and my neighbors. I see myself as no different than they are. All of our sins are worthy of God's death penalty. There is no rational reasons for me to make comparisons. This would be like saying, my refuse is better than your refuse. What insanity. Yes, the Holy Spirit informs my mind, inflames my heart, and now it inspires my hands. As my affections are inflamed, my thoughts, words, and deeds are adjusted. I find his precepts to be right, wise, and best. How good it is for me and my community to hear, believe, and obey. And I have learned to better appreciate the distinction, but not the divorce, the distinction between positional sanctification and practice sanctification. Positional sanctification does not increase or decrease. But my practice more or less falls in line with the saint God declares me to be and who he has made me. Yes, positional sanctification is that which we get by grace alone without any works of my being included. I am unalterably God's temple, God's son, God's brother, God's spouse, or God's saint. I am righteous, holy, blameless, perfect, mature, godly, and thoroughly wholesome. This gifted positional status of mine cannot be improved. It cannot be lessened. It is what it is. I am who he says I am, and there's nothing you or I can do about this. Practice sanctification flows out of positional sanctification, and it too is by grace alone, through the power of the Spirit working for me in me, through me, by me, and with me. And daily I am learning to believe his goodness, repent of my sin, repent of my sins, repent of my self-righteousness, and enjoy growth in my spiritual affections and brotherly love. Then from the fount of these renewed affections, I'm able to practice being the saint I am. Yes, Today, I am a fanatic of Jesus and his gospel. I have become a grace boy consumed with sonship theology, and it continues to fuel my repentance, joy, worship, and practice sanctification. Today, fear has no grip on me as I rightly understand the unfathomable grace of God. Out of love now, I endeavor to serve my God, brothers, neighbors, and enemies. And as I learn to better understand the gospel, I less and less look up at God and wonder, have I done good enough today? There are also fewer days when I imagine God being angry at me due to my sin. Instead, every day, empowered by the Holy Spirit and inflamed by the gospel, I endeavor to enjoy my God and his ways, to encourage my brothers and sisters in the faith, and engage my neighbors with the gospel that they too may enjoy the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. God is good. His gospel is grand. His grace is greater than all our sins. I am a fan, and I want you to be one as well. 
God bless you. Happy New Year. <laughs>